Hey everyone listening to this, this is DJ Martin, church pastor here at Parker Ford Church. Once again, we are meeting outside this Sunday because of uh, COVID and the ongoing restrictions uh, with, uh, with COVID. So we're meeting outside. Um, so instead of trying to capture the sermon audio from out there um, at a lower quality, I've come into the sanctuary just in here today. Um, spending some time with the Lord and um, and praying, and uh, what what you're going to listen to here is the teaching that I'm uh, giving on Sunday morning. Today we are continuing in our series, Love Above All, as we journey through First John, and we've reached First John chapter two. Towards the end of the chapter, we're going to be covering verses 18 through uh, verse 27 um, today. So. Uh, Join me in a word of prayer. Let's invite the Lord to, t- uh, to lead us and be the one who teaches us. And then we'll jump into the text together today. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so good. It's so rich. How good it is to spend time in it. How much you shape us and form us. The more that we go to it, the more that we drink of it, the more time we spend meditating on it. And so today as we Uh, Look at this passage in 1 John. We invite your spirit, God, to teach us. We pray that you would illuminate your wisdom for us, that you would abide in us, that we would abide in you, and in doing so, that we would bear much fruit, and that you would teach us that we would be shaped by this, informed by this word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All right, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, Just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is God's word, and it is good. So there's some really cool wordplay that's happening here between the title Christ, between this strange character and strange characters, the Antichrist and ones who are Antichrist, and then the word anointing. So in our culture, when we use the word anointing, especially in religious circles and in uh, Protestant Christian circles, if someone was to say, oh, that person is so anointed or, th- or that worship leader is so anointed, 
what we really mean by that, at least on the pop culture level, is, is we mean that person is really gifted. And so we might have gone to a concert and, and heard uh, someone sing songs that they had written about the Lord and we were moved by it and they were super gifted. And, and so the description is, oh, it was, it was an anointed time of worship or that, that worship leader was very anointed or that teacher is very anointed. And, and what we're saying there is that they're really gifted, they're really good at what they do. And that may be true, but that's not really what anointing in the scriptures is getting at. Anointing in the scriptures is much more about relationship than it is about skill. For example, think about King Saul, the first king of Israel. David would not harm Saul because he was the Lord's anointed one. But Saul, chosen by God to be in relationship with God as his representative on earth in the kingdom of Israel, what did he do? He stepped outside of that calling. He stepped outside of that relationship. He stepped outside of the anointing. And eventually the anointing was actually removed from him and put on David. And it wasn't really about skill. Saul was still had the same competencies after he stepped out of that. He was still head and shoulders taller than anyone else. He was still a mighty warrior. He was still probably a capable ruler uh, from an earthly standpoint. So it wasn't about his skill level or his competencies or even his knowledge. What it was about was that he had stepped out of an abiding, obedient relationship with God. David, who really had nothing that set him apart from a gifting or skill standpoint, I think it's really interesting because probably if you compared the two men, Saul and David, that Saul is probably from a human standpoint more gifted than David, but what David's got is he's got this abiding hunger to be in right relationship with God. And when things go bad and dark in his own heart, There's an honesty and an integrity in owning that when he's confronted about it and seeking to step back into right relationship with God confessionally. With Saul, that wasn't there. And so Saul steps out of that relational anointing, whereas David sought to abide in it. Anointing also means protection and healing. So in Psalm 23, when David prays, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He anoints my head with oil. Or in, when the psalmist uh, says in Psalm 133, how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the oil that's poured over Aaron's head that runs down his beard. What that's talking about, that picture of anointing, is a picture of both healing and protection. So as a shepherd, uh, a shepherd would, would anoint his sheep with oil to heal their wounds as they walked through thorns and thistles and brambles and it cut up their their skin and and left wounds then the the healing oil would would help um help cleanse the wounds and help the sheep heal but then also it had a protective element because of the flies that would uh seek to live in both the nostrils and the ears of the sheep and would drive the sheep crazy so crazy that they would beat their heads against rocks causing uh brain damage or bleeding Uh, to the point where sometimes sheep would even die from these flies that were living inside of them, but the oil would protect 
them it would act as a barrier and the flies wouldn't go in to the nostrils or the ears and so anointing in this same way is not only a relational favor though it's certainly that it's not only God choosing a person though it's certainly that it's also about healing and about protection it's not just about someone being good at something so with that in mind, look at these words from John in 1 John 2, starting in verse 18 again. He says, children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Now, to understand the wordplay here that, that John's going to do, we have to understand a little bit of the language. So Christos, um, where we get the word Christ, is not Jesus' last name. So my last name is Martin, DJ Martin. That's not how the apostles used Christ. So it wasn't like they were saying Jesus Christ and Christ is Jesus's family name, his, um, his last name. Although I think that maybe being so far removed from the text and the culture, we might think of it that way. Christ is a title. And what it literally means is Messiah, anointed one. And so when John says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, he's saying, the one who stands against the anointing of God, the one outside of the anointing pushing against the anointing, the one who comes with a different anointing, an anti-anointing, a counter-anointing. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now... Many antichrists have come. Many antichrists, many of these people who stand in this anti-anointing have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John, like all of the apostles, um, probably believed that Christ was going to return, if not in his lifetime, very, very soon. That doesn't mean that John was mistaken or wrong. It just means that he had limited sight. And every generation (laughs) that's followed Christ um, at some point has probably believed over the last 2,000 years that these were the final days, as in, like, it's coming to an end. He's going to return any minute. But the last days, I I believe what the Spirit was revealing through John, the the last days is the description of the epoch, the time that we live in between, between the advents of Christ, between his, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and this time period that we're in now, this time of transition, this time of waiting, where the kingdom has already broken through, the kingdom is already here, the kingdom is at hand, Jesus said, and yet we continue to live in a broken, fallen world where it's not yet the only kingdom, and we are still anticipating and waiting, awaiting his return, his second coming. And so we're in this state, these last days, this, this, this phrase, the last days, describes this waiting period that we're in where we have the resurrection and we have the forgiveness of Christ through, uh, through the cross and through the spirit indwelling within us, but we are also waiting for the consummation of all things at his return. And there are antichrists, there are these, this anti-anointing spirit, this counter-anointing that has arisen. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, you'll remember that the reason why John wrote 
this letter was he was addressing the early heresy of Gnosticism that had cropped up. Um, one of the first heresies that came into the church was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught a dualistic understanding of the world where matter is evil and spirit is good, and therefore the goal is to escape matter into spirit. But Gnosticism also taught that there was secret knowledge, and only if you had been initiated into Gnosticism could you attain and receive this special knowledge. It wasn't available for everyone. It was only available for the elite people who could attain to the secret illumination of their teachings. And apparently, there were people in these early house churches that at first had believed the gospel, had, had believed the story of Jesus, but now had gone a different way. And it's these people that John is talking about. And way more than talking about who is Antichrist and, and identifying someone as Antichrist and all of the craziness that happens that people are tempted to do, rather than focusing on that, I, I think the focus for us today should be this, what it means to stand in the anointing versus the anti-anointing. The, to stand in the anointing of Christ versus the teaching of that which comes against Christ. So he says, therefore we know that it's the last hour because this is happening. Verse 19, they went out from us, these people who apparently started in the faith but then left. They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now he shifts gears. He's been talking about those who started and left. It's like the seeds that fell on the rocky soil and sprouted right away, but then withered and died. Verse 20, he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. So he's been talking about the Antichrist. Now he's using the same root word. He's doing some wordplay here. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. There's no secret knowledge that you haven't already received in Christ. You, having received the anointing, remember this is about relationship, healing, and protection. You, having received this anointing from God that's, that's pouring out from him through his abiding relationship in you, have all the knowledge that you need. There is no secret knowledge to attain to other than what the knowledge is that has been revealed to you through the person of Christ. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. It's really simple. <laughs> what is the Spirit of the, of the anti-anointing. What, what is the spirit of the anti-Christos? The, the, the one that pushes against the kingdom of God. It's very simple. It denies who the Father is. God Almighty, El Shaddai, Yahweh, I am. It denies the Father, but it also denies the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So he's just straight out of John fourteen fifteen. 
pulling the words of Christ from the Last Supper, the last big teaching that Jesus gave before his death. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you. John, repeating these words, you've heard from the beginning, abide in you. This has been the core message that John has taught the church. Live in the anointing. Live under the anointing. Flow with the anointing. It's not about knowledge. It's not about skill. It's not about being better at stuff than anyone else. It's about standing in right relationship with God and walking it out with others. He says, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. All right, and here's where I want to really hit home in the teaching today. Verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. So the anointing that you received from the Messiah, from the anointed one, the Christos, the anointing that you received from him it abides in you. It lives in you. What does Jesus say about when we abide in him and he abides in us? We bear much fruit. So back to verse 27, but the anointing, this pouring out of oil that you have received from the anointed one, it lives in you, it abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now John's not an anti-intellectual, he's not anti-education, he's not anti-teacher. Far from it. He sat at the feet of the great rabbi. And that's not what he's saying. He's, he's not saying be an anti-intellectual. Don't, learning's not important. He's saying the secret knowledge that's promised through the world. This, that, there, that there's a better story or a deeper story or a further illumination than that which we have already s- received from the beginning about who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God, God in the flesh, dwelling among men, redeeming us through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, teaching us through his life, through his example, and through his words. That there's a secret knowledge beyond that. He's saying you have no need for any further teaching than what you have already received because what you have received is the foundation. Like Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you hear these words and you obey them, you're like a man who builds his house on the rock. And John is saying this is the rock. He is the rock. And the anointing that you have already received from him is giving you all the knowledge that you need to abide and bear the fruit that he has called you to bear. He says, but as... At the end of verse 27, the second half of verse 27, but as his anointed anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, if you were at our outdoor service, what you would have seen was this. I called up a couple of volunteers, uh, young men in, in our congregation, and I had them wear swimsuits. Um, we were outside in the field by the church, and I had a ladder out there, and I, I climbed to the top of the ladder, and, and one of the young men represented Christ, and he also had a pitcher of water in his hand, and then one of the young men represented us abiding in him. And what I had 
what I had the young man do, uh, the one I had that represented us, I had him go to the feet of the one who represented Christ and just sit at his feet. And I climbed the ladder and representing the Father and the anointing of the Father pouring pouring out on his Messiah, the chosen one. I dumped the pitcher of water slowly over his head. And as that anointing was being poured out, he in turn, representing Jesus, dumped his pitcher of water over the, the, the representative of humanity clinging to his feet just to reveal this picture, just to illustrate an image of what it's like to sit in the anointing of God. It does not mean that you have secret knowledge. It's not that you're more skilled than anyone else. Far from it. What it means to have the anointing of Jesus is to sit at his feet and as he himself is drenched with the anointing of the Father, his anointing in turn pours out on his children. friend, in Christ, you have the anointing of Jesus himself. And as the Father dumps out the oil of joy, the oil of relationship, the oil of love, the oil of his choosing, the oil of his blessing and protection, as he dumps it out over his son, by abiding in Jesus, you can't help but be covered in it. There's no way to remain dry. There's no way to not get dumped on by the Father when you are abiding in the Son. And so the fruit of the Son is revealed in our lives as we abide in Him. So brothers and sisters today, be encouraged that in Christ you have already received everything that you need for a life of abiding and abundance. As you cling to him, your master and rabbi, the oil of the father being poured out over the son in turn is being poured out over you and you are drenched by it. Now we can step outside of this. <laughs> we, we can remove ourselves from the abiding presence of Jesus. We can, we can step outside of that. Like Saul, we can turn away from that anointing and that calling. And it's not about skill or that we'll be bad at stuff, lose our ability to do stuff. It's that we're stepping outside of the relational favor of God. But in Christ, <laughs> there's, in Christ as we abide in him, he pours out that blessing and bears, causes that fruit to grow in our lives. And it is so good. So brothers and sisters, I pray that this word would be a blessing to you today. I pray that you would stand in the anointing of Jesus Christ, that it would pour out all over you, that you would receive it as protection from the, the thorns and thistles and buzzing flies, that you would receive it as healing where you've already been wounded and, and hurt, that, that the oil of Christ would go deep down into those wounds and bring healing, and that also you would know that it means relational favor, <laughs> Because where, where you stand with Christ, when you stand in that anointing with him, it, it means that he's with you. It means that he has chosen you and continues to choose you, even as you respond in return, choosing him back. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the anointing that you pour out on your children. We don't deserve it. It's so good. It's unmerited. And it is uh, truly a blessing to receive your anointing.
pray that each person engaging this word today would be convicted deep within their souls about the necessity of living a life abiding in you. Through prayer, through word, through fellowship, through service, we abide in you by serving others. We abide in you by seeking justice. We abide in you by reading your word and meditating on it. By living as whole people (laughs) in the way that you designed us with you is really how we abide. And so help us be a people that live as we are meant to holistically with you, God, receiving your anointing even as you've received it from the Father. You're so good. You're so worthy of all honor and glory. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen.